The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Good morning. You guys can go ahead and make your way to your seat. Think there's been enough peace passed around this morning? Just kidding. I love the passing of the peace. I love receiving peace. I love saying hi to everyone. Like some of your name tags say, yo. How you doing? That's right. So I want to tell you a little bit about a story. I want to tell you a story about my life. This morning, last, uh, I would teach at the Charles Finney School, which is a private school out in Penfield, and so every morning we have staff devotions, which is a unique experience as a teacher. I've worked in other schools where you don't have that, and you get in, the teachers roll in with their coffee, complaining about the day, and so it's a really, sometimes I roll into devotions complaining about the day, but it's a nice way to start the day with the other teachers and staff. We have a small devotional, we have a word of prayer, and it's really nice. And uh, so I'm going to start off this right now with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and the fact that we're here. And I pray for the leadership team as they are out um, on their retreat and they're making all sorts of decisions about the direction of the church for the next year and plans. And I pray that you would give them discernment and wisdom and that you would bring them together and really join them as a leadership team this year. Pray in your name. Amen. One of the things at this morning devotion is that we can share prayer requests and we can share praises. And one of the teachers, last fall, she shared a story about her church. And in the story, she said that their church had been praying for a man who had really, really bad skin cancer on his face. And he was going to have a major reconstructive surgery for his whole face. Um, And so they were he and his wife decided to take a week and just kind of go off-grid before the surgery. It was about a month out. So he had some tests done, and then he went on this week vacation with her. And when he came back, he had some voicemails from the doctors. He said to call him, which he expected. So he called the doctors, and they told him something that he didn't expect. They said, well, we did all these tests, but we couldn't find any cancer anymore. And so he went back in, and they did more tests, and the cancer was completely eradicated. There was none, none. They couldn't find anything. And they were very sure that there was cancer because he had had a number of different doctors do tests to find out. And the tests were very conclusive, and they all said the same thing. And so my friend that was sharing this was, you know, very excited. And, wow, what an what a amazing God that we serve that he would do this and that he would pray this way. And, and I can say that my response was very different. Um, I didn't respond joyfully and say, man, I want a faith like that, like some of the teachers and staff did. Instead, my response was really angry. God, how can you do this? How can you cure this man and not cure the rest of us? Not cure all the people that I've been praying for that had cancer. And not curing all of the other people who are sick. I don't understand. 
I don't understand. And I was very, very frustrated and very angry, and I sort of held it together <laughs> throughout the, the rest of the devotions. And then I went and I talked with another teacher, and, and, and it's been something that I've really wrestled with for the past six or seven months. Just, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I've been a Christian for a long time. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I went to Sunday school. I know all the answers that, that you know, you're supposed to give. Um, I know a lot of the Bible stories, and I don't understand. I can't answer this question. And so as I've been processing it, I thought, well, there's probably a piece of this that has to do with my own personal history and my own dysfunction and things that I need to work out on my own in my own life. Um, but I also know that there's a big piece of this that is how I relate to God and how God relates to me. So one of these pieces, as I processed through this, was to look at scripture. And so there's a parable that Jesus tells, and it's in all three Gospels. And it's in, um, I'm going to read the one to you that is from the book of Mark. So it's Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And then Jesus kind of talks, gets off topic. I don't think he can get off topic, but he gets off, he talks about something else, and then he comes back and explains his parable. Don't tell Scott I said that. <laughs> okay, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I don't know what, it's on page 815 in the Bibles if you want to follow along. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large, large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. Then there's the uh, other part that he talks about. And verse 13, he says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a little while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30 and 60 and 100-fold. So as I looked through this parable, it seemed to me that Jesus was talking about three different things. He was talking about seeds that are being planted, and he's very clear that that's the word of God, Scripture. It's the, the idea of, of who God is and our relationship with him. He talks about soil, which is us, and the different types of soil. And he talks about the quality of our soil and our ability, which I think is our ability to hear about God and understand his truth, which is done through a variety of ways, through life experiences that we have and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
Because sometimes you hear the word and it just means nothing. Just kind of, okay, great, in one ear, out the other. So the quality of our soil. Ultimately, it would seem from this parable that the good soil is our goal. That's where we want to go, that's where we want to be, because in the good soil, the plants that grew were fruitful. And they did what they were supposed to do. So that's, that's the type of soil that I would like to be, that I would like to have in my life, because I want to be fruitful. I want to do what I'm supposed to do. I think that that's a lot easier to say than it is to do it, but I want to do what I've been created to do. I want to specifically this morning look at the thorny soil that's in there that it talks about. In the thorny soil, it doesn't say that it was bad soil. It doesn't say that it was clay or all the different things that are really hard to grow plants in. Not a garden. I don't know all the different types of soil out there. But it doesn't say that it was bad soil. It just said that the soil had thorns in it. And it also doesn't say that the good soil doesn't have thorns in it. It just said that it was good soil. All three of the Gospels talk about the soil, and all three of the Gospels say that the thorns grew and they choked the plants. In Mark, it says that, therefore, the plants yielded no fruit and they didn't grow any crops. And in Luke, it talks about how the thorns grew up with the plants and they choked it out. But none of the Gospels say that the plants died. It just says that they didn't bear any fruit and they were choked by the thorns. So there could be plants just hanging out, not doing anything, kind of wasting a waste of space, maybe. Maybe a seed needs a little bit of help. So looking at the thorns specifically, Jesus explains what these thorns are. In the three Gospels, the three different uh, tellings of this story, he has a number of different thorns that he says. The worries of this life are, are one set of thorns. The lure or the deception of wealth is another set of thorns. The desires for other things seems a little bit broad, but I think that that's okay. You can fit a lot of things in there, desire for other things, other than truth, other than growing into who that you're created to be. And life's worries, riches, and pleasures. I think just as a side note, that it's really interesting that all three of the Gospels talk about how, talk about money, talk about wealth, and the lure of wealth or the deceit, this deceptiveness of wealth. And so perhaps because all of them say this, that that's something that we should look at in our lives. How does the role of money in our life keep us from being fruitful as believers, as followers of Christ? Perhaps it's that we focus too much on money. I have a friend, and her goal is to be rich. That's all she wants. I just want to be rich. I just want to make a lot of money. And that guides every decision that she makes. Perhaps it's not focusing enough on money and not caring and just spending, 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 having lots of credit cards that are maxed out. Or perhaps it's managing money and really worrying about money management all of the time so that it's mind-consuming. You can't think of anything else. I don't know what it is for you, but... It's, I think it's, you know, important that we look at that. Jesus talks about it. What, how does the role of money in your life keep you from being fruitful? For me, I think one of the biggest thorns is the worries of this life. And some of those look like doubt and questions and, and not trusting God with everything or with anything, depending on the day. And I think, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and and I've never heard that 
that's okay. For a Christian who's been there for 20 years, maybe 30, I don't know what it is for you, to have questions, to have these doubts. And so, you know, that's a good question for anyone. Is it okay for a Christian to have doubts? Well, sure, especially in the beginning, you're kind of figuring stuff out. And if you, if you think about it, when we become, when we kind of begin this faith journey, I think that we do it with a little bit of naivety and not, not really having, and I don't know how you would, but having a, a complete picture of it. And so we, we walk into this Christian thing with, man, this is great. God is love, and, and he cares for me, and he, he takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He's going to take care of me, and all I have to do is pray, and God's going to hear my prayers, and he's going to answer my prayers, and he's going to give me peace during the hard times, and he's going to give me joy during the sad times, and this is awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> and I wish that I would say that that's, you know, exactly how it worked out. But I can't say that it's that simple. So, going back to that question, can a Christian, can someone who's been a Christian for a long time have questions and have doubts and have disappointments in God? Can you be disappointed in God? Is that okay? I mean, he's God. He created everything. He makes rocks. I don't know how to make a rock. Rocks aren't even that interesting. I'm sorry, geologists. You know, he makes a lot more interesting things. So, can I be disappointed in God? And I would say absolutely. The good soil that Jesus talks about, it could have had weeds and thorns. And in fact, in my non-gardening experience, I would say that good soil does grow weeds and thorns. In fact, it grows lots of them because it's good soil. And I would say that it's also easy to find in the good soil plants that are bearing fruit. And it's easy to find among those plants ones that have vines wrapped all the way around them. And they're still bearing fruit, and they're still having flowers and all the things that plants bear. And I'm not a gardener. (laughs) I will point you to Del and to Ellen and to my sister. But I think looking at this parable related to the Christian life, perhaps there is no time frame in there. Perhaps the weeds grow up with the plants. Perhaps the weeds in your life are there the whole time that you're a Christian. And perhaps it takes 30 years for the fruit in your life to be choked out, for the plants to stop bearing fruit. I think that it's pretty easy at times to be cynical and skeptical about this whole God thing. Well, I don't know. God didn't cure all the other people that I know with cancer. Why would he hear my prayers? Because it doesn't seem that he has yet. I think that sometimes, as Christians, we don't even know that we're not bearing fruit anymore. It's been 30 years, and we're not even willing to acknowledge the fact that we have those questions and we have those doubts, and we don't even see in our lives that there's no fruit. We're just around, and this is what you do. On Sunday mornings, you go to church, and you give some money, and you do service, And there, ta-da. But there's no fruit there. And we don't see that. So I think that perhaps a better question, instead of asking, 
Can we have doubts and can we have disappointments and questions for God? A better question is, what do I do when the weeds come? What do I do when the thorns come in my life? Because they're going to be there. If you're going to be good soil, you're going to have thorns and you're going to have weeds. Again, not that I'm a gardener, but I've seen gardeners do this. They put scaffolding around their plants. So if you're going to grow tomatoes, I'm told that you put that metal cage around it because the tomatoes can kind of grow on that and it can help support the plants while they're growing the fruit because tomatoes are really heavy and they taste great. <laughs> when you're growing trees, my parents have a couple young trees in their yard and they put stakes by the trees and they tie the stakes to the trees so that the trees grow up tall and strong. I think even the raised beds that we have out front, that's a type of scaffolding because it's, from what I understand, it's protecting the plants from the hungry little critters that like to roam around at night. So in our faith walk, what does scaffolding look like? I think absolutely it means asking those questions that you have, not just to yourself. I think a lot of times it's easy to ask a question in your own head. Okay, self, what do you think about this? I don't know. All right, I'll move on. But being willing to admit those questions to other people and ask them. Find people who are safe to ask, pastors and friends. Find authors who have asked those questions and have drawn conclusions from them. Sometimes, in the process of being honest like that, you're going to find people who are going to give you very pious, nose-in-the-air, holier-than-thou answers that are going to come across very condemning and judging and criticizing. And to those people, I would encourage you to say thank you and walk away. Find someone else to talk to. Looking at scripture is another way to find that scaffolding in our faith. What is Jesus saying here? I don't understand. Asking people about scripture. Scott talks a lot about the spiritual disciplines in the historical Christian faith. And I'm not very good at following them. But I know they're part of the spiritual formation plan that, that is offered here. I know that there are things that have been around for thousands of years that people in the church have done for a long time, and it has worked, and it's helped bring them to a place that is closer with God. So I think those are some ways to have faith scaffolding. I do want to say very clearly that it's okay to have questions and doubts, and that you're not a bad Christian. You're, it's not unchristian to do. And and I would even argue that it is scriptural, that scripture commands us to do that. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a verse that I haven't really understood for a long time. It's verse 12. And it talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I always kind of got stuck on that phrase, work out your salvation. I'm sorry, what? Didn't I already get my salvation? Is this something that is homework? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. How does this happen? But I think the process of reconciling what we know to be the truth about God with our life experiences and putting those two together, that's what working out your salvation means. God, I know that you say you're a healer, and, and Scripture is very clear that you are a healer and that you are good. And I know these people who are sick and they are dying. I don't know how to reconcile that. And through that process and working it out, Scripture calls us to that. That's not unchristian, asking those questions. Asking the questions about, some of you have seen this, 
in the um, e-news. There's a coworker of mine who's been in the hospital since March. He had an infection on his spine around his shoulders, and he's paralyzed from the chest down. He can't breathe on his own. God, I don't understand. I have a student who's a sixth grader. And on Friday, they took him to the hospital because he's had massive headaches and his eyes won't stay aligned. And they think he has a brain tumor. And they did an MRI and they're going to go in for surgery on Monday. He's a sixth grader. Well, I suppose he just finished sixth grade. God, I don't understand. You say you're a healer. How do I reconcile these things? By the way, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> but I can say that in my story, over the past six to seven months, I've gone through a number of different stages as I process this. The first one was recognizing that I don't always trust that God is going to choose to work in a situation. It's very clear that he does work. He did in this man's life, and I saw that. But I don't always trust that God's going to choose to do that. That was the first place that I went. The next place that I went was realizing that maybe it's not that I don't trust that God's going to work in everyone's lives, because I actually easily can believe that. But I don't always trust that he's going to work in mine. That's a really hard thing to admit. I was very, very upset when I realized that. Well, God, what about me? And so then I went to a place of, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe forget it. While at the exact same time, I was also holding on to the belief of, God, I've got nowhere else to go, and I don't know what to do. So asking these questions doesn't mean I'm rejecting Christianity and I'm rejecting faith. It just means it's part of a journey of processing and reconciling these things together and working out my salvation. The place where I'm at right now is that I know and I understand that God loves me and that God loves you and he loves my student and he loves my coworker and he loves a man whose cancer was cured. And I can act out of there. You know, they say people in love feel like they can go conquer the world and do anything. And there really is a truth to that. If I believe and I am confident in God's love for me, that's the place I can go that's secure. And then from there, I can start to probe these other things within the context of faith, within the context of Christian community, within the context of God's love for me. I don't know the answers. I was a wreck the other night as I was processing some of this stuff. God, I don't understand some of the things that have happened in my life and other people's lives, but I know that you love me, and I can start there. And sometimes I can't even venture out from that. I just have to be there. Okay, God, that's all I can handle right now. That's the only place that I can be. But I think that it doesn't look like that for everybody. Everybody's place of security isn't the same. For you, it might be the person of Christ, who Jesus is as a man, as a friend, that that's who compels you to keep growing and maturing and bearing fruit in your life. Perhaps it's your experience of somebody else, your experience of God working in someone else's life. I don't have the answers for me, but man, I have seen that person change, and that is a different person. And that is what's going to keep me asking questions, growing and maturing in my faith. So I would encourage you to find that place so that you can acknowledge and you can accept the fact that you may have questions and you can ask them. I do want to say that all of those things we believe in the beginning of our faith walk, that Jesus is going to bring us joy and sadness and peace in hard times 
and that he is going to bring comfort in a time of need and all these catchy little Christian Sunday school answers we have, they're true. Just because we believed him in the beginning and life experience has shown that it doesn't feel the same as what we thought it would be doesn't take away the truth of those sayings. God really does care for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And he really does care about you and he cares about me. And he cares about the money part of my life. I wrestle with that. I just looked at some, I got a letter back from the IRS people and I was talking with my dad last night. Looks like I owe more taxes. Well, that's just great. God, did you look at my budget recently? (laughs) Okay, can you do that then? Right, so I think those things are true, but they don't necessarily look like what we expect them to look like. Jesus came, and they expected him to be a king of the Israelites, and he was going to wield a sword, and he was going to go take care of the Romans. He said, no, I'm doing it differently. You you aren't going to understand right away. Being a Christian isn't like taking a magic pill that just makes everything all better. You don't always have to be joyful and bubbly and full of life. It doesn't mean that you aren't experiencing joy and love of life. Being a Christian gives us a new lens, a new perspective to view and experience the world through. Because it's hard. Life is hard and life sucks. It just does. But being a Christian can give us some scaffolding. It gives us some things to lean on and ask those questions. And recognize that when these questions come up in your life, that they're just weeds and thorns. And that means you're good soil. Because they're growing. They, they can coexist. And they don't have to choke out the fruitfulness of your life. There's a quote that I have that many of you may know and recognize. And it's a Rainer Maria Rilke quote. And I want to leave you with this. I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. At this point, I'd like to invite you into communion. Our service is going to be a little shorter today. I'm not Scott. Hey, that was a pun. I'm not Scott. I didn't, that was not intentional. <laughs> Our communion table is over here. And anyone who is seeking Christ, anyone who is on a faith journey is welcome to this table. Whether your faith journey is coming from a place of secure faith that is strong and deeply rooted right now, or perhaps that's a place where you're asking questions, you are welcome to this table. If Jesus were here now and he were offering to eat a meal with you, if you would say yes, then come up to communion. Perhaps it's okay for you at this time to sit in your chair and stay there and pray and meditate and ask those questions, and that's okay too. The communion table has both grape juice and wine, so whatever is appropriate for your family, you may use. And it's going to stay open for the remainder of the service. Come up as you are ready.
This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com/podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.